Joseph, let me start by asking you a question. Forget all the other people in the room. This is just me talking to you. Okay, as someone you might have seen before, some of you may know, may not know, but can I just ask you, how are you today? How are you? How's your week been? How do you feel? Because, you know, the easy, the easy answer, isn't it? Oh, I'm great, thanks. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. That's the sort of thing we say um, quite regularly. Yeah, I'm good. And it's interesting, when we, when we sat down here to, to pray beforehand, Matt said, how are you? To me, how am I? And I think I'm not going to preach him. I could hardly say, oh, things great, thanks, because that wouldn't be right. So um, I said, yeah, you can pray for me. I said, this, this is my fourth sermon in seven days. I've been reading training sessions as well this week at our Fishing Mission Conference in Birmingham, that great fishing port of Birmingham. Uh, we all got together as a, as a Fishing Mission family and uh, had our conference this week. So I've had, yeah, preached twice uh, already, preached last Sunday and preaching today. So I'm quite tired, if I'm honest. You know, that's where I'm at. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm loving this. I'm just enjoying it. It's such a blessing to be with you. But yeah, I'm tired. That's the obvious answer. And it might be how you're feeling, because your, your first answer might be to that question, oh, great, you're good. But in reality, you're just a bit worn out, you know, just a bit tired. Everything might be okay, but it's been a busy week, and it's been times of stress. And maybe it's just a bit difficult. Next one. I wonder if these words resonate with you. The world at present is in a mighty hurry, and being in many places cut off from all foundations of steadfastness. It makes the minds of men giddy with its revolutions, or disorderly in expectations of them. Hence men walk and talk as if the world were all, when comparatively it is nothing. A description not of our world today, but as it was in 1681, okay, written by a chap called John Owen, okay, a, a Puritan writer. I think you can say that not much has changed. Life can sometimes feel like a bit of a treadmill, uh, and time to restore whilst resting or taking time out is at a premium. Sometimes things with demands from work and home can make it virtually impossible to get any sort of break. And when we do do that, we can often get consumed by guilt for doing just that very thing that we need so much, because we do all need downtime. Every week we need to take our foot off the pedal, take some time off to rest and restore, and most importantly to reconnect with each other and with God. We need a Sabbath. This is God's demand, God's command, this is God's design, this is God's practice. So today we're in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, to the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, looking at two stories. Uh, of Jesus uh, as regards the Sabbath. And once again we see Jesus in direct opposition with the religious elite. So this morning we're going to look at three particular aspects. We're going to see first of all Sabbath controversy, Sabbath controversy, Sabbath reality, and then Sabbath opportunity. The first let's read from Mark chapter 2 verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiphar, the high priest, 
He entered the house of God, made the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them <laughs> were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger, and being distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. <coughs> and then it's all. So there's a lot of Sabbath controversy. Sabbath controversy. But before we get to those Sabbath cornfields, let me take you to San Pietro, it's one, near Vicenza, a small Italian village. It's towards the end of World War II, in April 1945. And soon-to-be 13-year-old Mary Neal is about to celebrate her birthday. A cake is baked and left to cool by an open kitchen window. As that happens, American troops come through the village to confront German forces. Shots are fired and a battle ensues. Mary and her family take refuge in the attic. Returning downstairs the next morning, Mary's birthday cake is gone, presumably eaten by hungry advancing American troops, the spoils of war. Mary missed out on her special birthday cake. Here you go, next one. A few weeks ago, Mary Leon turned 90, and at a special ceremony in Vincenza, the American troops currently stationed in Italy presented her with a replacement cake as a way of saying sorry to Neon and thanking the villagers for feeding them bread and wine during those warm, war-torn days. It's a lovely story, isn't it? Next one. And you know, singing a cake to feed hungry liberators is one thing. Picking years of corn to snack on is another. But it seems as no less a crime by the Pharisees who are seemingly following every move Jesus makes, waiting for him to make a mistake. Now we need to see that the unlawful bit here is not the taking of the grain. Jewish law allowed for the traveller to pick the odd bit of corn to feed on. It wasn't reaping or harvesting, so it could not be construed as work. However, by the way, even though this was allowed, it doesn't therefore mean it was ever okay to snack on the odd pick and mix in Woolies or pizza grape in Waitrose just to test it. Right? Those things are not right and you shouldn't be doing them. Okay? Next one. For the Pharisees, it was the fact that they snacked on the Sabbath. And Jesus replies by citing the story from the Old Testament where King David ate consecrated bread because he and his followers were hungry. And it's a brilliant reply because Jesus knows that the Pharisees would never question King David. And Jesus is saying to you, look, if it's good enough for King David, it's good enough for me. After all, I'm the Messiah. I am the King of Kings. Next one. And this enraged the Pharisees. And it's worth noting that 
Uh, at the end of chapter 3, verse 6, we are just 79 verses into Mark's Gospel, and already they are plotting to kill Jesus. And to understand why, we have to recognise that Jesus is a controversial figure. He shook things up when these events happened, and if we are correctly taking his message of hope, of forgiveness, of new life, and a different way of living with different priorities into our world today, then we will also shake things up considerably. For us, I think King David, Jesus has more to say. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is the, the nub, the heart, if you like, of this Sabbath controversy, both then and maybe even today. Next up, I'm much indebted to uh, John Mark Comer's wonderful book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I think you worked through this, didn't you, last year? Um, uh, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I was due to come speak on a passage on this when my mum passed away last year, so I couldn't, I couldn't come. But I just love this book, and I recommend it again if you missed out last time. You know, it's very profound, it's easy to read, deeply challenging and soaked in scripture, okay? And in his book, the next one, John Mark Comer suggests that um, the second part of Jesus' statement here, not man for the Sabbath, was made for the Jewish audience uh, of the time. They had lost the true meaning of Sabbath by chaining hundreds of impractical and joy-draining rules and laws and regulations to that simple commandment to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Next one. But then you can see that the first part, the Sabbath was made for man, is what we need to hear today. Because so often we get this wrong. Rather than having hundreds of ritualistic rules protecting Sabbath, we don't usually have any at all. Remember, Sabbath is a time to rest, to restore, to connect with God and with each other. It's God's command, it's God's design, it's God's practice. So we need to get it right. It's not just a day off to do nothing and be idle. It's equally not just a day off and do nothing and be miserable. Maybe we need to look further into this and look no further away to the creation narrative in Genesis for our Sabbath blueprint. But we read these words. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day, because on that day, he rested from his work, all the creating God had done. Such a beautiful image, isn't it, of God looking at all that he had made, knowing how good, how very good it was, easing himself into the day to simply enjoy and marvel all that he had done. A day set aside, a special day, a holy day, a day to enjoy the goodness of God, to enjoy the very goodness of God. So that's the theology, the thinking behind Sabbath. What could that look like for us? What is our Sabbath reality? Next one. In 1994, we saw that the Sunday Trading Act come into law, allowing many shops to open on Sundays for the first time. Before that, only certain foods could be sold, being to one enterprising hardware shop selling oranges for £99 each with a free lawnmower 
thrown in <laughs> until he got round the law in those days. Sport on Sundays was hardly ever known, with cricket test matches taking a rest day, remember that, on the Sunday? There was an experiment with football matches being played on Sundays in 1974, but it was not warmly received. One fine, authoritative voice, Arsenal's general manager, Bob Wall, declared, playing football and making profits on a Sunday is wrong. We will not disturb the peace and quiet of the neighbourhood of Highbury on that day. Now, you could argue that the peace and quiet of Highbury have not been disturbed much from previous days since that time, but that's a completely different argument. The 1994 Sunday Trading Act was opposed by trade unions and church groups, amongst others, under the banner, Keep Sunday Special. But the reality is, Sunday is now hardly distinguishable from any other day of the week. You know, that's true. That's the case, isn't it? But this is not the world, not the life that God intended. It's not God's command. It's not God's design. It's not God's practice. Thank you. Because we need restoration and rest. We need a Sabbath. Whether it comes on a Sunday, and there must be two of those, or any other time of the week. Some people, Sunday is an impossible day. But we need this time, somewhere in the week, some regular space, to just get down and reconnect with God and each other. So how can we achieve that? What can we practically do? Well, again, focusing on John Mark's book, he uses four, four possible things to do. First one, stopping. And that's the most literal translation of this word Sabbath, Shabbat from the Hebrew, is to stop. And for us, this has to mean taking time away from our paid work or our unpaid work, whatever we normally do during the week. And if, if you can think that, if that even includes thinking about work, if you can do that. Okay? Because studies show that even thinking about a stressful work situation when you're not at work is the same as being in that same stressful work situation. Okay, so it's a mental discipline to set aside our worries, our fears, the things that keep us awake at night. In a nutshell, it's a matter of trusting in God. Stopping for you might be turning off your phone. Just stopping immediately on that constant connection with the outside world, the need to want and to be wanted, the need to respond. Next one. And then we get resting. And here, again, the Hebrew word Shabbat can be translated as a verb. And it can mean to rest. Physical rest, to slow down, to, to sleep, to relax. Mental and emotional rest, to quieten our minds. And once again, to just trust in God. Turning over to Him. Uh, all the things about money and work and wants and conflicts and fears. All the things we want to control ourselves. We give over to Him. Eugene Peterson calls this tuning into the unforced rhythms of grace. It's a beautiful expression of resting in Jesus as he takes the load off our shoulders. So we have stopping, we have resting. Then we have the next one, which is delighting. Delighting, another expression that can come out of this word, Shabbat, Sabbath, a kind of resting that is also a celebration to delight. And for me, this is about making space in our minds and our souls to delight in all the wonderful things that God has given us. This could mean people in our lives. It could mean his creation. 
could be ice cream, whatever it is for you. You know, we often can't see the beauty of our world because it gets crowded out by the ugliness around us. But it is there, and there in abundance, if only we could stop to rest and delight in it. Sabbath is a time to give our soul over to joy. And the last one is worship. Of course, worship is so key to all of this experience. As we stop, we rest, we delight, we are naturally drawn into worship. And that worship may take the form of what we're doing today, corporately worshipping together, but it can equally take the form of praying or singing or worshipping personally, wherever you are. So we thought about resting and stopping, delighting, mind and body. Worship is how we restore, how we reconnect with God. And Sabbath reality is a gift from God, a precious gift from our Saviour for us to take part in. This is God's command, this is God's design, this is God's practice. So at that point, you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know what, that's all very sweet and lovely, but do you know my life? Have you seen what my week is like normally? Have you met my demanding boss and my all-consuming work life? Look how much of my spare time is taking up with the seemingly endless responsibilities of life. Here's my kids to bring up, my elderly parents to care for. Well, of course, your Sabbath reality might be some way removed from that ideal scenario of a whole day to stop, rest, delight and worship. I'd give anything for that, you might cry, but my life makes it simply impossible. Well, once again, let's try and get the balance right. Sabbath is not about a legalistic tradition that has to be observed, about wrongfully enveloping ourselves into all that's going on, but about just setting ourselves aside to experience the blessings that God has for our lives. You know, the whole day is out of the question. Find a place, a length of time that is possible, and intentionally use that practice, that piece of time to practice Sabbath. Stopping, resting, delighting, worshipping. Next one. Because, you know, this is a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of heaven. A glance forward to our forever lives with Jesus. The thing we are, you know, so looking forward to. We can experience some of that here on earth. The wonderful gift of Sabbath is, is based on trusting God, our wonderful Father. And that means trusting the one who knows you. Who knows the many stresses and strains in your life. The one who knows you and loves you better than anyone ever has or ever could. So can we embrace the gift of Sabbath? Can we find that rest and restoration that we so desperately need? Sabbath controversy, controversy Sabbath reality, and now Sabbath opportunity. Sabbath opportunity. Next one. A few weeks ago, at the end of winter, we had a power cut at home. Now, that's not unusual for us country folk. So with a torch in hand, I went to reset the breaker switch in the garage. But it wouldn't stay up. We checked our neighbours and though this wasn't a generalised local outage, it was just our house. Now, I'm no electrician and our breaker board uh, has got no labels on it. Just for good purpose. Okay? So I have no idea what's going on anywhere. Okay? It was cold, it was getting dark, 
and we had no heating or lighting, so we called out electrician. He thankfully arrived swiftly and began to work out which area of the house was causing our supply to trip out. We singled it down to upstairs and our daughter Beth's bedroom. But even then it still remained a mystery, as there was no apparent reason why the electrics there should be sorting out. As he moved around the room, the electrician moved one of Beth's plug boards out of the way, and he did so, a little bit of water just splashed up out of the plug board. This was the reason. But how on earth did this plug board get filled with water? We looked up and hoped the ceiling was intact. There was no water dripping out of the ceiling. But then we found out that this plug board had been sitting underneath a radiator. But not a radiator that was leaking. Underneath a radiator that had on it one of Beth's sweatshirts that come straight out of the washing machine the night before, and have been dripping, drip, 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 down the sleeve, gravity-wise, into the plug hole, causing the short. Now, there's only a few drips, but those few drips mounted up and became costly. Sabbath is a God-given opportunity for us to rest and restore, but we have to take that opportunity, we have to be intentional. Because if not, that drip, drip, drip of the busyness of life can invade that sacred space. And missing out on this connection with God and each other will be costly to us. Beth's sweatshirt did dry up quite nicely, but we did need a new old plug board and uh, all the labels in the right place and everything else. Uh, so it costs us a fair bit at the end of the day. Okay, so there we are. But we can miss out on the joy of Sabbath. Next one. Because this is God's command, remember? God's design and God's practice. And the American theologian Walker Broodman said this. Next one. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes, it is the pause that transforms. Mm. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes, it is the pause that transforms. And that was certainly the view that Jesus had. Sabbath as a space for transformation. Next one. After this confrontation in the cornfields, the action moved to the synagogue. And once again, Jesus' enemies are gathering to accuse and condemn. Here we meet a man with a shriveled hand. Now, the Jewish interpretation of the law did allow for medical attention to be given on the Sabbath, but only in life or death cases. This was clearly not the situation here. But if we look closely, we see again that Jesus didn't actually do anything physical other than speak. That was all that he did. After asking the man to stand up, and after challenging the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees, he simply says these words. Next one. Stretch, and again, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And he said that, the healing is completed. As I close, I want to take the Sabbath opportunity from Jesus and bring it right here into this room. Bring it right here today into New Life Church. Because, you know, Jesus often healed on the Sabbath. It drove his enemies to distraction. But I think it was so much more than Jesus just testing their opposition. I think this is Jesus underlining that the Sabbath is a time for rest, yet for restoration, for transformation and the healing. So let's see. Let's know that the living Lord Jesus is here with us today by the power 
of his Holy Spirit. Let's invite him to move in power amongst us because as he did on that Sabbath day, he does today for us. He looks into our eyes and he simply says to each one of us, stretch out your hand. And that's an act of Sabbath surrender on our part. It's a way for us to give him our hopes and our fears, to say that we trust him with every aspect of our lives, and we want his transforming power to break through in our lives today, this Sabbath. Because Jesus speaks to each one of us right now, and he says these words, next one, come to me, come to me, all of you who are weary. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In a different version of that, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn those unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, this is our Sabbath opportunity. Jesus looks at us and he just says to us, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand and receive rest. Stretch out your hand and receive restoration. Stretch out your hand, receive healing. Stretch out your hand and receive transformation. Stretch out your hand and receive Jesus. This is God's command. This is God's design. This is God's practice. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. And just for a simple request from you to us this morning, as you move us this morning, you just say to us, stretch out your hand. I'm just going to pause for a few moments just to... uh, Allow us to do that either actually physically or just mentally in our heads to just release ourselves all those things that we want to control into the control of Jesus. Or we stretch out our hands because we need to rest in you. Or we stretch out our hands because we need to reconnect with you. Will we stretch out our hands because we are just worn out? We are just tired with family or work or church or whatever it is you, you know. But we just need just need to, to just to rest in you. So Lord help us with that as we stretch out our hands. Jesus, we stretch out our hands.
to receive healing. And we ask that you would heal me today. Jesus, we stretch out our hands to receive guidance, wisdom, an answer to a, a particular relationship problem in our heads. Jesus, we stretch out our hands for forgiveness because we know we've let you down. We know we're far from you and we need your forgiveness this morning. And Lord, we stretch out our hands, Jesus, just to receive your grace, to receive your love and your mercy, to receive all that you are in our lives. We thank you that that's what you want us to do, is to come to you, to stretch out our hand in front of you so that you can fill us once again. Jesus, we stretch out our hand because that is what you are asking us to do. And we do that, Lord, because we love you. We do that because we want to surrender ourselves to you. We do that because we want more of your love, more of your power, more of your grace in our lives. So as individuals and as a church, we stretch out our hands to you this morning. So we fill us, we pray. In your name, Lord. Amen.